I've heard the opposite of some people. They hate having to work with actors. I think it's like less reliable actors is what they hate, which that's a whole different subject. But yeah, I think that's about not being a good director. Ooh. I think, you know, anybody can be an actor. You just have to be a good director. Hello, and welcome to the Out of Frame podcast. My name is Lauren. And I'm Jackson. In this podcast, we'll discuss the unheard perspectives of the film industry to learn about what it's like to work in the industry and how to get involved. Each episode, we'll interview professionals about their work experience and their tips for aspiring filmmakers. So Lauren, can you tell us about who we're talking with today? Yeah, so in this episode, we talked with Brian Jackson, who is a director, writer, and founder of multiple community and film programs, and is originally from Kansas, so right down the street. He has directed films such as Haircut, Softly, and Little Tycho Boy, all of which have been screened at multiple festivals around the world. He's also helped found Digifilm at UC Irvine and the International Documentary Program. Brian has a lot of experience and insight, so I'm excited we got to talk to him today. Yeah, it sounds like this is going to be a good episode. All right, so first of all, I just want to say thank you, Brian, for being here. Um, How are you doing today? I'm good. I just got out of class. Sweet. Well, we're glad that you're able to make time for us here. To get our listeners a little bit of background, can you tell us about your education and why you chose to go down that route? Hmm. Do you want me to start at undergrad or grad school? Let's start with undergrad. Okay. When I was in high school, I I wasn't quite sure where I was going to place my emphasis in music or art or theater. And uh, I got the biggest scholarship in the theater department. <laughs> so that sort of set that in motion, which is not necessarily the smartest way to go about it. I went to undergrad at Emporia State University, and I was I grew up in a small town. So let's just say that I was ready to have an adventure, and I, and I wasn't a great student. <laughs> I had a really good time. And then um, I left school. For a couple of years, had a, a big adventure, and then came back to school ready for education, and I was a much better student. My undergrad was in a Bachelor of Fine Arts in theater. The program I was in, I started as a designer. That's what I always thought it was going to be. About halfway through my undergraduate education, I realized that I, the way I thought about design was really as a director, and that when I was in my first directing class, I realized, oh, this is where I should be. Even though I have all these skills, I really excel here in shaping the story and guiding the characters and working with the actors. And that's what I really love the most. When you say uh, design, what do you like mean by that? Is that mostly mm. like uh, scenery design uh, and costumes or is it more than, it sounds like it's more than. No, that, no, it's so. a good question. Um, most people are studying scene design or costume design or sound design or lighting design. But I was studying sonography, which is all of the design fields together. So I was doing all of those design, advanced design classes. I, I really wanted, you know, this kind of control of the story and the picture, and uh, it was really directing. <laughs> but I had all these skills as a designer, so I was, I thought, oh, that's what I'm going to be. That's amazing. You brought up this big adventure. I want to go back a little bit to that. What did that big adventure during your undergrad years consist of? Well, I'm always very frank with it. Like, in the middle of my freshman year, I dropped out because I was not doing well in school, and I was broke. I was a first-generation kid. My parents weren't paying for school, and I was still on my parents' 
taxes, so I couldn't qualify for student aid. Mm. So there was just no money. And I was struggling with finances and struggling with my attention span. And uh, so I left. And I had a series of really crappy jobs. But in the meantime, I became a club kid in this in this music scene or a club scene that was happening in the late 80s in Kansas. And I fell in with a group of people. We would spend all week making clothes to wear out at the clubs every weekend. And things were pretty fantastically 80s outrageous. And that's also when I became involved in HIV AIDS activism and community activism. So there was a gay and lesbian theater company and we did these outrageous pride shows every year. And then we got very ambitious and they were like, oh, let's do a Christmas show. Let's do a Valentine's show. And we would take these shows on the road. We would tour to, we were in Topeka, Kansas. And we would tour to Lawrence and to Kansas City and perform in different community spaces. But it was sort of like a, a really filthy cabaret, which was all about destigmatizing sex and advocating for safer sex in the community by using humor. And we found by being really outrageous, people would, couldn't help but laugh. And it was also a community building exercise where by getting people to laugh at their own oppression, <laughs> you know, you sort of you get to this place where you are um, able to see yourself outside of, you know, your burdens every day and come together as a group and be laughing together. So I learned all these things combining theater and performance and activism. And that's the kind of stuff I was taking into undergrad when I went back. That's amazing. I'm glad that those times were so transformative for you because I think a lot of people stress about, oh, I can't take my time to figure things out. I can't take my time in college to find my people. And it sounds like you really had the opportunity to do that during this period of time. So you were originally in Kansas. You did your undergrad in Kansas. What led you out of Kansas uh, into L.A.? Well, actually, I went to the East Coast first. Uh, I had a job. um, I got a job uh, leaving Kansas that took me to New Haven to this regional theater company called The Long Wharf Wharf Theater. It's tricky. Um, And that's a a very, very famous regional theater company. And uh, friends of mine had worked there. It was known as a place where extraordinary craftsmanship was being done. Mm. So the people who worked there were brilliant. I was working in theater and working as an assistant to the costume shop manager, which (laughs) meant I did all the dyeing and painting of fabrics. I also did all the shopping in New York. Mm. And so my job took me into New York, you know, constantly. And I got to know New York City and I got to know all these famous designers and actors that we worked with. And in the process, I became really disillusioned with theater. <laughs> so, um, and uh, really wanting to work on my work. And so that's when I was still doing photography uh, and um, and trying to figure out if I wanted to explore filmmaking. But I was thinking of myself as a theater director. So I was making photography and um, had that job and I was ready to, you know, there's these milestones in life that come when you're like, things are very clear suddenly, where you're like... <gasps> It happened when I dropped out of school and had been working at terrible jobs. And there's this moment I can remember at my day job where I was just like, I'm ready to go to school. (laughs) I'm ready to go back. So one of those happened then. And one of my mentors from undergrad, his name was Ron Folks, who's still a mentor now after all these years and a friend. I was really wrestling with grad school. Like I was ready to back to school because I wanted to move on to the next stage of my career. I knew I didn't want to be a designer, but I had all these skills working in design. So... I knew I didn't want to do that anymore, but I wanted to be a director. But I couldn't figure out if I wanted to be a photographer or to be a filmmaker. We just kept going around and around on this conversation, like trying to make this decision. He was trying to help me through it. And he just one point just goes, okay, close your eyes. Are the images moving or are they still? 
Wow. I was like, oh, they're moving. He goes, okay, let's move on then. You know, like, <laughs> that is he's, he's really clear that way where it's like, hmm, that's, that's what he's really good at. Wow. Yeah. That that's, is awesome. That is so fascinating. And so I applied for grad school and got into UCLA, which was outstanding. That is awesome. I really like the way you explained that like formative moment of I'm mm-hmm. ready to transition into that next period of my life. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand that you have to go through the less than ideal situations to get to that point where yeah. you're ready then. So it doesn't always have to be that way, but that's really amazing how you explain that. Yeah, I definitely relate to kind of what you're saying because I, I took a year off school. I was originally studying elementary education and realized this is not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, just after being in the schools and teaching, my personality doesn't quite fit this. I, I do enjoy teaching, but when it comes to like working with like young kids, mm-hmm. I love them, but I, I wouldn't be able to do that like every day, eight hours a day. So yeah, I had to take that year off and kind of do some self-discovery. And uh, for me, I'm a Christian, so I had to do a lot of praying. <laughs> and so after kind of going through that year, I realized, hey, I've always had this passion for video and for film. So let's let's explore that. So yeah, that, so I, I relate that that yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's sometimes interesting when things are that clear, though, right? Where you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, I understand. No, this is not. No, no, no. This isn't what I thought it would be. You have to, like, give yourself that space, though. You have to, like, slow down and give yourself that time to make that decision because that doesn't come immediately. It takes time. So, Brian, can you tell us a little bit about your international documentary program at UCI that you started? Yeah, it was part of this program that I co-founded uh, called Digifilm, or it was digital filmmaking that we you know, shortened. And that program um, primarily served BIPOC kids, women, and LGBTQ students. Part of the program, I founded this international documentary thing that you've asked about. So the International Documentary Projects was a partnership with the School of Social Ecology, and they had a center called the Blum Center for the Alleviation of Poverty, or Poverty Alleviation. I always get that reversed, sorry. They said, well, we do this amazing thing where we send students, which they call global scholars, around the world to these sites of social justice and cultural change. And we would love to send filmmakers with them. And in their minds, they were thinking the kind of stuff that you normally get asked to do, like entertainment and news gathering, just BTS of people working in communities so they could yeah. promote the program and raise more money for them mm-hmm. to continue to send students, which made a lot of sense. But as filmmakers, we were interested in something far more in-depth. Like, no, no, if we're going to send a filmmaker, I want them to make a film, not just shoot behind-the-scenes footage for you. Yeah, We just hire somebody to do that. Our students did a little bit of that, but they were tasked with making, you know, finding a subject and following that subject and um, working with that person to tell their story. So they were, there, they were not there to be a hero or to rescue anybody or to teach anybody, but they were there to be taught. So the sites that they go to for the Global Service Scholars, they go to community centers, um, things like um, a women's retreat in the mountains of Nepal, where women go to flee the oppression of patriarchy. So it's heavy work, but they also do amazing stuff in the mountains uh, where they do things like um, teach podcasting, and they have a radio station, and they teach them photography. So they have agency in the world and can tell stories and market their skills and have jobs and lift themselves out of poverty. The students who made international documentary projects, it, it radically changed their practice as filmmakers because 
after they got back, they spent the entire next, we were on a quarter system, so they spent the entire fall editing and then the spring working on sound and delivering in the spring. And we would then showcase them at our showcase at the Newport Beach Film Festival. <laughs> it's something I'm working on bringing here to uh, UNL. No, I think that's amazing. Um, how would you say your passion for LGBTQ plus activism has influenced your work both professionally and creatively? Well, I mean, I tell queer stories. Um, I'm interested in queer experiences. I'm interested in a dialogue with the community. There are things I want to say that I feel like aren't being talked about exactly in the, quite the way I'm looking at them. And I want to understand things. You know, that's part of the reason to tell the story is to understand it, to try to get some understanding of it, as opposed to that I know everything. It's like I don't know everything. I want to understand it better. I received a grant to go to Japan uh, to work with uh, a composer that I worked with for several years. And in the process, uh, got to know a lot of uh, queer artists in Japan. And so through that experience, I got to know the people who run this thing called Community Center Akta. Community Center Akta is a center that serves the LGBTQ plus community in Tokyo. And their mission is around HIV AIDS but also continue, you know, empowerment, self-empowerment, uh, people working with their own self-esteem. And uh, they did this amazing outreach program called Delivery Boys. They distribute these amazing condom packages. You know, everything in Japan is wrapped. Everything's packaged very elegantly. So they have these really beautifully designed sort of um, light cardboard sleeves, which have a cool graphic on the outside. And then inside, instructions how to use and also information about getting HIV and AIDS testing. I got to know a lot about what their challenges were in the community, um, of where their highest rates of HIV AIDS transmission were happening. And um, in the process, I was developing the idea for a video project that we'd collaborate on. And so through this long collaboration of coming up with ideas, they taught me songs and uh, I taught them songs that we did in Pro Pride, and they thought they were outrageous and funny. And they were like, oh, my God, these are great. We should record one. And then it was like, oh, that kicked into motion this project that you might be referring to called Little Taiko Boy, which is a version of Little Drummer Boy, which is a song we did for Pro Pride. And so I had taught them Little Drummer Boy, uh, our version of it, and uh, they thought it was fantastic. And I was like, let's just make the video of that. And that's where it happened. So, yeah. Just looking at your life and your experiences it seems like you are a starter you're someone who likes to found things and like start like get get the ball rolling like instead of just kind of waiting for someone else to do something you do it yourself um yes that's true how (laughs) in terms of leadership is that something that was natural to yourself or is that something you had to develop within yourself it was something that i always felt but as a young queer closeted kid growing up it was something that i was deeply suppressed Mm. and so um it was something i always i've always felt like i knew exactly what should happen and how we should do something and the way things could be and was always quiet and then my patience with being quiet especially after graduating from high school when you finally get free of i mean i spent 12 years with the same people every day Mm. so finally being free of that and being free to be somebody else you know a different version of yourself a better version maybe of yourself you know, it sets you up to want to explore the world and make the world a better place in the way that you see that it could be. Um, and so it requires taking action. Those will raise the stakes because once you realize that a story can really deeply affect a community and transform them sense of themselves, you're like, why aren't we always doing this? Everything should be that good. Right. So yeah, you, you get impatient with mediocrity. It was a mixture of your patience dwindling 
getting out of the spaces that didn't suit you and then also finding your community of people that reflected your values. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's well, very well put. You should answer my questions. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. A lot of the film work that you've done hasn't just been in the U.S. How is video production internationally different than production here in the U.S.? Well, that's a big question. I mean, that's a big conversation that's separate from my practice as well. Okay. Um, but, I mean, just there are ways that sets work, you know, the way people call the role or use a slate slightly differently, like in England or something. Or in Japan, um, the gaffer or the chief lighting technician, they are their own creative position. I mean, they are anyway, but, um, but they are sort of on equal footing with the cinematographer versus in the United States, they work under the cinematographer, they work for the cinematographer, there, they're sort of an equal collaborator with the cinematographer, which is a different, you know, than here. The work I make is independent, so um, mm. so have, I don't work in the studio system. I work uh, independently, so I'm interested in queer stories, and historically, those stories have not been supported by mainstream media outlets or uh, production companies or studios. Uh, so I work independently. So my work is informed by independent practice, experimental film, video art, um, and uh, you know this. Uh, revolution in cinema called new queer cinema. Hmm. Yeah, that that's really interesting. What I guess makes independent film different than studio film? Then the money to start with, oh. <laughs> the scale of budgets. Um, the, usually, it's the origin of the project. So, um, with independent filmmakers, usually they're self-generated topics or stories. Maybe the writer is also the director. The director is also the writer. Um, they also might be one of the producers or the producer, depending on the scale. It could be a short film or a feature. Um, so it's a much, much smaller group of people and a much smaller budget. And the decisions are being made much closer to the reasons for telling the story and the story and the characters and not so much about like what the market demands and what's going to play well yeah, within an algorithm on a, on a nonlinear platform. So the expectations are different. So your work with independent filmmaking feels like it goes hand in hand with the initiative you take in your past experiences with building these foundations, these programs, and taking it into your own hands to make sure that it's portrayed in a way that feels accurate to you and done in a way that is how you want it to be done. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. Hearing your perspective on this and how it has differed from um, even talking to our first interviewee, Kaylee Colton, who works in studio production, um, it's just super cool to hear these different perspectives within film and so many different opportunities um, that work for different types of people. Yeah, it, it sounds like independent films just allow you to express the story you want to tell the way you want to tell it. And there is like fewer restrictions, uh, maybe fewer restrictions on the types of stories that can be told. It sounds like it allows you to the freedom to tell the stories the way you envision them and want them to be told. Is, is, is that a correct assessment and maybe why you uh, chose to go down the route of independent film? That's an interesting question. I, well, I mean, I'm okay with limitations. Mm. In the theater, all I really need is light, just a little bit of light so we can see the performer and an audience to hear it or to see it. And that's it. We could do it in the hallway. We could do it in this room. We could do it in a, a face that's perfectly built for it or on a bus. So it's like the limits are like everything. You're completely limited 
because you've accepted you have nothing. Like drawing the box a little smaller forces you to be more creative. So an independent film, it's not that there are no limits. You have enormous limits mm. because the budget, you're just like, you don't have the time. You don't have the money. You can't afford all the equipment. You can't have all the crew you want. You can't have as many days on the soundstage. If you're shooting on a stage or on a location, you can't afford the location or you can't get the location you really want or et cetera. So the limitations are vast, you know, and, um, but within that you have the spark of like doing whatever you want within that play space. And so I find often the bigger the film, the more boring they can get because there are so few limitations where they're like, Oh, we just, there was no real budget because there was a budget, but we just kept spending. And they were like, yeah, it's fine. Cause you're going to make so much money. We don't care. And I find that those films are usually less interesting to me because there's no limitations that they're pushing against. What is your favorite part of the creative process? My favorite part of the creative process, I would say it has to be production. I love being on set. I love working with the actors. It's what I really, really love. It's the thing you get to do the very least. You spend so much more time in pre-production. I mean, just story development and writing, which I find the most grueling of tasks, but also maybe the most rewarding in some ways. So I, I would say working on set in production, yeah, it's my favorite part. What about it is the most exciting part? Well, you spend so much time and energy to get it all organized, to get people there. It goes so fast, so it's hard to enjoy it completely. But when you're in the moment, it's like truly where I want to be all the time, which is everything's flowing and we're responding to the moment and an idea has come up that we didn't anticipate for me, the word there is collaboration. I love that intense collaboration with the cinematographer, the actors, just everybody on set. I love that. I've heard the opposite of some people. They hate having to work with actors. I think it's like less reliable actors is what they hate, which that's a whole different subject. But yeah, I think that's about not being a good director. Ooh. I think, you know, <laughs> anybody can be an actor. You just have to be a good director. I like non-actors as well. Like, no, there's something about you that's really remarkable that I would love to be part of this character. Would you trust me? And if they say yes, then you're like, oh, I'm. this will be great. But you have to keep trusting me. That's awesome. That's really cool. You have done pretty much all of your work is independent. Um, for our audience, what are the kinds of things that you did to get into independent film that you suggest people wanting to do that should also do well i think the first thing is be a good audience member see what people are making what kinds of stories are being told and think about what unique stories you have to bring to the marketplace of ideas not commercial market space but what stories aren't being told and what stories need to be told and what what could you add to the conversation what don't you understand that you want to understand or um, what don't we understand that we should be understanding? Um, mm. Those kinds of things, like what insights do you have as a person? We all have them that speak in your own voice and not emulate anybody else. But I think it's important to see what people are doing to not just study historical cinema, but also current cinema, um, both, you know, historic independent film, but then also contemporary independent film. Yeah. But as far as making independent film, you most people have a phone that has a camera and uh, it means you can be a filmmaker. Uh, after that, it's just about ideas and some technique, you know, understanding of story structure, something to say, and you're on your way. Get started. 
Can you tell us a little bit about what you're currently working on? I saw it's called Cream. Is that still in the works? Yes, it's in post-production right now. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? I have the drive in my bag right now. About the project? Yeah. Yeah, The project is a a short film called Cream. It's based on a short story by this writer, Ricky Ducournay, who's um, a novelist, a poet, a visual artist. And her work is very powerful, sort of surrealist work that really talks about eros, like the drive in us. In the process of making this film, I've become friends with Ricky Ducournay, and that's maybe the most exciting part of all of it, to get to be friends with somebody who's so incredibly remarkable. Hmm. Uh, so she's she's incredible. Our version of the story is about a woman who is isolated and trapped in her life, in her mobile home, on the edge of a nowhere town. And it's a woman who doesn't have a lot of options in her education, in her employment, uh, in her love life. And it's a woman who is living with the weight of disappointment. And to escape all of these things that she's burdened with, she constructs an elaborate fantasy, and she conflates her faith and her dreams of love. So it gets a little bit complicated, you know, where people mix their faith and their fantasy together. Um, It's pretty loaded, but uh, it's very interesting. She's a really compelling character. So to close this out, um, where can people go to learn more about you and your work? Well, my website, uh, brianjacksonfilms.com. My work plays at film festivals, mostly, primarily. And uh, I think a couple of things are online, maybe. Will we see anything at the Ross? That's a good question. Hmm. I don't think I'll be premiering Cream at the Ross, but maybe later. Yeah. Sweet. I look yeah. forward to it. I'm, I'm going to be bringing in some filmmakers to do programming, to do guest programming and stuff. Well, those are all the questions we have for you great. today. So you're free to go. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you so much for your time. This was a great interview. Well, thank you for the invitation. You're very kind. Thank you for listening to the Out of Frame podcast. Today, you heard a conversation with director, writer, and educator, Brian Jackson. Tune in next time to hear from more film professionals about the industry and how you can get involved. Follow us on Instagram at Out of Frame Podcast and let us know what you thought about today's episode. Bye-bye.